following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We've uh, finally made our way back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And... uh, sort of recommence our our journey in this wonderful letter in the New Testament. I'm going to read to you this morning verses 1 through 4, and that's what we'll give attention to. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to to his will. It's the word of the Lord. You and I live in a very uh, litigious sort of a culture. Uh, if you don't know what the word litigious means, it just means the kind of culture where everybody likes to sue everybody. And anything you do might possibly get you sued. One of the Uh, sort of outcroppings of living in a litigious society is everywhere you go, on anything you purchase, and nearly any place you visit, there's some sort of a warning sign or a warning label. Something that puts in writing what you ought to do or ought not to do. Because after all, if whoever made the thing doesn't put the label on there and you do something stupid with it and injure yourself, well, you get an attorney and you sue them. Do you ever pay attention to the warning labels that are on things? I mean, sometimes we pay attention, but most times we don't. Um, A lot of them are really stupid warning labels. Uh, i got a few examples for you of some of those, like this one on the hair dryer. Vidal Sassoon. Instructions for use. Do not use while sleeping. Who would think to try that? How would you even try that? Or better, another one that, that I could show you. I don't have these in my notes, Justice. Look at this. It's a letter opener from Staples. I love this. This is great. Caution. Blades are extremely sharp. Safety goggles recommended. Can you imagine, you know, everyone in an office opening a letter, excuse me, I need to put my safety goggles on before I slide the letter over. That's what it says there. Uh, There's some others. This is a great one. I love this one. No diving. No diving. Where do you find that? And who would think of that? Uh, another. Yeah. I love this one. Now, this is on a go-kart. Uh, it says, use of this equipment at your own risk and so forth. You know, don't do this. If you have a current or an old injury, high blood pressure, bad knees, bad back, are pregnant, are over 40 years old, or have any other ailment. I didn't realize being over 40 years old counted as an ailment. If so, I'm sick by five years now. Uh, I've got another, I think. Uh, 
This is a great one. No swimming if you can't swim. Somebody actually put that sign up somewhere. Because apparently there was some danger for someone who can't swim trying to do so. Um, one more, I think. Oh, this is one of my favorites. On a Rowinta uh, steam iron. Uh, go to the next slide, Justin. You can see the little warning a little, a little higher. Never iron clothes while they're being worn. Now, come on with me for just a minute. How many of you have actually tried to hold up the iron on your clothes? Steam. Nobody does that, right? You'd be crazy to do that. Well, warning signs. There are some dumb ones out there. Oh, there's another one. This is in a church. Articles of value should not be left on seats whilst receiving Holy Communion. I don't know what church that was in, but it's not one you should go to, I don't think. A bunch of thieves out there stealing your stuff while you're taking communion. Well, there's a lot of warning signs and warning labels that are, that are foolish and stupid that really, there's so many of them, we largely even don't pay. Oh, this is, I forgot about this one. Remove child before washing. This was on some children's clothing. Made in China. Yeah, that's a good one. Is that it? Did I have more? No, I think that's it. Okay. You get the picture, right? Uh, there's a lot of, there's so many of these things around, the reality is we don't pay any attention to them, really. We don't even look at them normally. How many of you have flown? If you've flown and if you fly often, like I have in the last few years, you know, every time you get in an airplane you go to, to take off, somewhere along the way when you're taxiing, one of the flight attendants stands up there and goes through a whole entire safety speech. And the last time I was flying, I was looking around at the people around me. And you know what everybody was doing while that dear lady was going through her routine? Oh, they're flipping through their thing. They got their headphones on. They're, they're not paying any attention to what she says. And I have to admit, after you fly a few times, you kind of get the routine down in your head. And, and you kind of just tune it out because you're like, I know, okay, if things go wrong, the, the dudes drop down from the ceiling. You stick it on your face. You breathe normally, which who breathes normally when the plane is going down? I mean, really. Um, but all those things, we just sort of ignore them. We don't pay them very much attention. But there are some warning labels and warning signs and warnings that cross our path in life that demand that we pay attention to them. Like when you're driving down the highway and that light starts flashing on the dashboard of your car, that there's a problem with the engine or that your oil is overheating. And those things start to flash while you're driving, and they flash for a reason, and they, they flash to capture your attention. They flash to wake you up from whatever you're paying attention to or thinking about at the moment, and to focus your attention on a problem that is occurring. And the goal of those warning lights is to get you, the driver, to pull your car off to the side of the road quickly, as quickly and safely as you can, and to pop the hood of the vehicle and to pay close attention to what's going on because there's danger there's danger on the horizon. Something is about to go wrong if you don't give it some clear and concise and particular attention and do so fast. As we work our way through Hebrews, you've seen in chapter 1 that this is the author of Hebrews develops some very sophisticated theology that is brilliant, it is wonderful, it is, it's exciting for us to dig into and to sort of grasp but he doesn't do so just to sort of stimulate our minds. He develops theology in order to drive us to action. 
And so the way he does that is he develops theology, and then all throughout the book, in fact, five times, he calls us to a stop. He begins to flash a warning light at us and say, now that I've told you all of these things that you need to be thinking about by way of belief, theology that you need to understand, beliefs that you need to rethink in your mind. Now, I'm telling you this because there's a danger ahead that you need to pay attention to, and you need to be motivated to act now before the danger consumes you. And so there are five pit stops along the way in this book that are five warning passages where he pauses the intellectual and moves to the motivational. He says, now I've told you all this because there's a problem, because there's a danger on the horizon, and you need to wake up, and you need to think about what's going on in your life, because the danger is real, and the threat is severe. And there's a real chance that you're going to blow past the warning light. There's a real chance that you're going to ignore the warning label. There's a real chance that you're going to tune out the person saying, you need to listen to what I have to say, because danger could be on the horizon. When we get to chapter 2 of Hebrews, we find our first warning passage in the book. It's a very brief passage, only four verses, but it is an an explicit and direct warning to the original audience to whom this author writes, and it is an explicit and direct warning to everyone who would read it. And it applies to every church and every believer in every age of history. Just the same. Now, it's been a little while since we've looked at this book. But just as a quick recap, chapter 1 is all about the author launching into a reminder of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins this book by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Long ago... In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, for for generations, God has been speaking. He's a speaking God. He's a God who isn't silent. He's a God who who tells us what we need to know. And in the past, He's been doing it through prophets. And He's been doing it in many ways, in many forms, over many periods of time. But in these last days, God has had one final thing to say to us. And it's His final word. And it's His most important word. And it hasn't been spoken to us through prophets. It's been spoken to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to tell us about the glory of Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who daily, moment by moment, upholds the universe by his own power. He's the heir of all things. He's the one who who gave his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, and who now is resurrected and ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who is infinitely greater than anyone who has ever walked the planet. Infinitely greater even than the angels. He spends the, really the bulk of chapter 1 explaining why Jesus is greater, infinitely greater than angels. Because his original audience had great respect for the angels. And they thought of the Old Testament as being delivered to them, or at least mediated to them from God by the angels as the angels being the one who brought the message from God to His people. And they had great regard for the angels. And the author knows this. And so he wants them to understand Jesus is infinitely greater than the angels. He wants them to know this because he wants to drive them to the message of Jesus. And he wants them to understand that if the old message 
delivered by the angels was really important. How much more important is the message delivered by the Son? If God took seriously how men responded to His message delivered in the Old Testament by the angels, how much more seriously do you think God takes how we respond to the message delivered by His one and only Son? That's where He's driving with all this. That's where He's going. It is a warning light to us. And in the midst of this warning light, there is one central warning, and it comes in the form of a question. And the question is simply this. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's an important question. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What is this great salvation? What is this message that he's talking about? Well, it's, it's the message referred to in the beginning of chapter 1. God spoke in many ways in past, days past through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken through his Son. It's that message. The message of the gospel of Jesus is the message he's talking about. And he's asking a very direct and simple question. How can we expect to escape if we neglect that? If we don't give attention to that? How can we escape? And it's a question that's rhetorical. He doesn't give an answer because no answer needs to be given. The answer is obvious. We cannot escape. There is no escape if we neglect that. There's no way out. There's no other way. To neglect such a great salvation is to condemn the soul. We can't escape it. We won't escape it. That's the warning. The warning is there's a potential that people can neglect the message of the gospel and shipwreck their souls. That's the warning. And it's the flashing light that's on the dashboard for us this morning saying, hey, check your soul. Pull the car over to the side and lift up the hood. And ask the question, are you neglecting the message? Are you neglecting the gospel? Are you neglecting Jesus? It's no small thing. That's what he's driving at in this first section. And he gives it to us sort of uh, the way we'll at least look at it is this. He, He lays out for us that there's a danger. He explains to us what the cause of the danger is. He explains to us what's at risk with this danger. What happens if we don't pay attention to it? And then he gives us a remedy for it. And so we'll do our best to kind of walk our way through the passage that way. What is the danger that's here? What is this danger that's going to drive this warning? And he tells us in verse 1, the danger is this. It's drifting. He says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The great danger that the congregation that this author was writing to was facing, the great danger they were facing was the danger of drifting. The danger of drifting. They were not in danger of immediate apostasy. They weren't immediately in danger of abandoning Jesus. They weren't immediately uh, in danger of giving their minds over to the reasoned arguments of someone who was bringing a different message. That wasn't the danger at all. The danger they faced was the danger that they might be slowly gradually drifting, drifting away. 
This word drift is a word that has several connotations, but the, one of the main ones is it's a word used of a boat that's unmoored from the dock. A boat that has lost its propulsion, that's at the mercy of the wind and the waves. It's a, if you can just imagine a boat that's floating out in the open waters, that's just sort of drifting. It doesn't have, a, its motor doesn't work, there's nobody to paddle it. It's just drifting. It's just sort of in the current, and it's just drifting out to sea. That's the imagery captured by this word. He's saying to them, there's a danger. There's a real severe, soul-threatening danger that you're facing every day. And it's the danger that you might drift away. I've never been a huge beach person, but I can remember at least when I was a kid liking the beach better than I do as an adult. Um, but one of the things I remember vividly about going to the beach when, you, when I was a kid is I can remember being with my friends out in the water and we loved to you know, kind of ride the waves and get out on the waves and play and you know, surf, body surf, and do those things. And, and I can always remember that, you know, you kind of, you know how it goes when you go to the beach. You carry all your gear, and you get set up on the beach, and mom is there at the beach, or dad, or whoever the adults are that are with you. And they're at the beach. You set up your home camp. You put the cooler there, and you lay out the blankets, and you get all those things together. You get your sunscreen slathered all over yourself. And you, you, you get out, and you just head out to the water, and you start playing in the water. And you start riding the waves, and you start just goofing around and doing whatever kids do at the beach. But I can still very vividly remember playing in the water at the beach and, and from time to time sort of lifting my, my, my eyes up from whatever I was doing at the moment only to realize that mom is way down the beach that way. That while I've been playing, I've been drifting. The current has been driving me down the beach. I didn't realize it when I was playing. I'm just playing and I'm just surfing. And you're just having a good old time. And then you wake up and you look up at the beach and you're like, where'd mom go? She's not there anymore. Wait a minute, she's way down there. Why'd mom move camp? Mom didn't move camp. I've been drifting down the beach. And if you get out in the waves and you get out to playing and you get really distracted and you get to having a good time, you can drift an awful long ways before you even realize what happened. Before you even realize it. The same is true spiritually. We get out into life and we do our thing. And before we know it, we can drift a long, long ways from the Lord. That is the danger that this congregation was facing. They had a particular situation that was in view. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit. But this particular congregation was facing severe persecution. It wasn't as severe as it was going to get. Nero was getting ready to come into, into uh, power and authority, and the persecution was going to ramp up significantly. But at this point, they were already facing hardship and persecution. In some cases, they were losing their possessions. They were losing their homes, losing their jobs. They were losing things that were precious to them. And there was tremendous pressure on them to, in order to, to sort of relieve the pain of the persecution, to sort of step back away from Christ. To sort of step back away a little bit and revert back to the Judaism out of which they'd come. The danger wasn't that they would abandon Christ altogether. It's just that they would drift a little. They would go back to the temple. That they would go back to some of the rituals. That they would go back to some of the outward signs of Judaism. Maybe they would quiet down their evangelism so it didn't cause so much attention. They would just leave the Jews alone. Don't ruffle feathers. 
That was what they were facing. And the temptation was to drift. The potential was to drift. Our world is filled with spiritual drifters. People who were once very firmly moored to Christ, very firmly moored to the gospel, who now have drifted far, far, far away. You've seen that, and I've seen that. In 23 years now of full-time ministry and a lifetime spent in the local church, I've seen countless times over the years, many, many, many people who at one point in their life were appeared to be moored firmly to Christ and, and, and anchored firmly in the gospel, who seemed to love the Lord and to love His people, who seemed to have a passion for His Word and then were, were, were zealous about evangelism, who were involved in studying God's Word and praying with God's people and worshiping with the community, all of a sudden to find that one day you looked up and you say, well, where did they go? They're not here anymore. I don't see them. They've drifted. People who were at one time red hot for Christ but are now ice cold. People who were at one time very, very active in the local body of the church and now you can't find them anywhere because they're drifting. Drifting. Drifting away. The spiritual landscape of the Christian church is, is littered with drifters. With drifters. The truth of the matter is our lives are often marked by seasons of drifting, aren't they? It's easy for us to point to the drifters that we see on the outside, but when we look in the mirror, we're forced to look at the reality that there are seasons of our own lives where we've drifted. You probably don't even have to think very hard to think about some season of your life where you went adrift spiritually. Where once what was once hot had become lukewarm or cold. Or a zeal that burned fresh had, had simmered down. Or a love for Christ that was once driving your life just became routine. And you're drifting. Drifting away. Sometimes those seasons are short. Sometimes in our life those seasons of drifting are long. And there are all sorts of things that contribute to our drifting. But the results are the same. Always the same. Some of you this morning are here and you're drifting. Your spiritual life is adrift. You're a long way from where you were at one time. It's been a long time since you've lifted your head up from the waves and looked to the shore, to Christ. You haven't paid attention to what's been going on in your life. And you've drifted a long, long ways down the beach. You've not been paying attention to matters of your soul. You've not been paying attention to the gospel. You haven't been paying attention to Christ. You haven't been paying attention to spiritual growth. You've drifted a long, long ways. That's you this morning. Christ is standing on the beach calling you through this text. And he's saying, lift up your eyes. See where you are. You're not where you used to be. And the current is dragging you away. 
if you don't stop and pay attention, before long I'm going to be out of sight. Far more people in our world drift away from Christ than are reasoned away from Christ. Kent Hughes said it this way. He said that church, speaking of the the church to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, that church's experience 2,000 years ago intersects our lives in this way. He says, drifting is the besetting sin of our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it's not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ, and begin to quietly drift away. There's no friction, no dramatic sense of departure, but the winds of trouble, when they come, the things of Christ are left far behind, even out of sight. The besetting sin of our generation drifting. C.S. Lewis said this, and as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? We get all worked up over cults and we get all worked up over the false teachers that run around teaching all kinds of things and so forth. But I think the far greater immediate danger in our lives is not that we'll be reasoned away from Christ, but that we will drift away from Christ, slowly and methodically drifting away. There's an awful lot of currents in our world that will drive us away if we allow ourselves to drift This original congregation, it was the current of persecution that was driving them But for subsequent congregations, even our own, there are a lot of other currents that run that will pull us and drive us down the beach away from Christ. I couldn't possibly list them all, but a few that came to mind as I was thinking about this this week are are these. It's the current of familiarity. There's a current of familiarity. We've heard the gospel for so long that it gets old to us. We've heard about Christ for so long that we're just kind of get, get bored with Him. Austin Duncan said this, We have a weary familiarity with the message that was once absolutely captivating to us. There was a time in which the gospel captivated us, and we were, we were just mesmerized by the Lord Jesus Christ. We were willing to sacrifice anything to follow Him. We were willing to abandon our sin and our own self-will. We were willing to, to cast away our, our way of life and, and run to Christ and pursue Him and give up everything to follow Him. And now it's just routine. And that current of familiarity drives us down the beach. There's a current of busyness. It's another one if we allow ourselves to drift, right? We just live busy lives. There's stuff to do. There's enough things in your life and in my life to fill up the entire day quickly. And if we don't plan things to fill up our day, other people will plan things to fill up our day. And the day blows by. And so spiritually we just drift day after day after day. The the current of busyness just drives us away down the beach. There's the current of pain and disappointment. It's another one. It's another current that will drive our drift. We're wounded. We get hurt. We're disappointed by something that happens in our life or by somebody in the body of Christ who's wounded us. 
So the current of pain or the current of disappointment drives our drifting. There's the current of distraction. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, my mind wanders, and sometimes I get distracted. Do you get distracted when you're driving? I was driving the other day somewhere, and I was going, I meant to turn, and I, I totally missed the turn. I blew right past it. I realized about a half mile down the road, what was I doing? How did I miss my turn? Well, I was distracted. I was listening to something on the radio. I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And so I drifted right on past. It's true in our spiritual lives. We just get busy. We get distracted with other things. There are important things going on in life. We have families. We have careers. We have jobs. There are crises that pop up. There are things that happen. And we get busy and we get distracted on other things. And days go by. Weeks go by. Months go by. Even years go by. And we're completely distracted. And the whole while we're just drifting, drifting away from Christ. We're distracted with our work. We're distracted with our families. We're distracted with our money. We're distracted by our hobbies. We're distracted by relationships. And a thousand other things that distract our attention. And all the while, we just drift with the current. There's the current of worldliness. We love the world around us. We want to be accepted. We want to be thought well of. So we compromise a little here. We compromise a little there. We indulge a little here. We indulge a little there. And the next thing you know, we're a long ways from where we used to be because the current just drives us while we drift that's the danger and it's a real danger it was a danger for this church it's a danger for you it's a danger for me that we drift he tells us there's a cause for the for the the drift there's something that causes drifting it's neglect and inattention are the words that he uses here. He says in his question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And in verse 1, he tells us we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The way we end up drifting is we stop paying attention and we neglect something. That's what happens. If you want to end up drifting spiritually, the way you end up there is you end up there by stopping paying attention to something and by neglecting something. What is it? that we neglect? What is it that we stop paying attention to? Our great salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel. Spiritual drifting happens not because we set out to drift. It happens because we stop doing something else. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, Hey, I think today I'm going to go drift away from Christ. Hey, today I think I'm going to neglect the Lord. Hey, today I think I'm just going to see how far I can get away from Christ. Nope. It just happens naturally when we neglect something, when we stop paying attention. That was what was going on in the lives of these people. They had heard the message of Christ. They had heard the gospel. They had given assent to it. They had confessed that they believed it, but now they were neglecting it. And what you need to understand about neglecting and drifting is this. It requires no effort. None. You don't have to try to drift. All you have to do is stop paying attention to the gospel. All you have to do is stop paying attention to Christ. All you have to do is neglect the things that matter and you will naturally drift away. Naturally. 
when we're inattentive, when we're careless spiritually, we drift. All you have to do, stop praying. Stop gathering with the body of Christ to worship on a regular basis. Stop opening up God's Word and studying. Stop pursuing holiness in your life. Stop looking to Christ and being amazed at what He's done for you. You stop those things. You quit doing those things. You stop paying attention to all that. You you start getting careless in those areas. And you know what happens? You will drift. There's no neutral. See, that's the argument here. There's no neutral. There's no standing still. You're pursuing Christ or you're drifting. It happens naturally. It requires no effort. Like me in the water when I'm a kid. You're just busy out there playing. You're not paying any attention to the tide. And all of a sudden you wake up and you realize you've drifted. You didn't try to drift. You were just doing your thing. And the drifting happened. The drifting happened because you you neglected to pay attention to where you were. You forgot to look up and say, hey, I need to go back where I was. You just got consumed with what you were doing and you drifted. We neglect Christ. We neglect spiritual matters. And our attention gets diverted to other things. And the next thing you know, time has flown by. And what used to be a flame is now just a tiny little flicker. And what used to be a passion for holiness is now just outright rank compromise. What used to be a hot pursuit of Christ is now just sort of a a mild ambivalence. That's what happens. It doesn't require any effort. It's, it's gradual. It's just gradual. And the longer we neglect these matters, the further we drift. It doesn't require effort. It's gradual, moment by moment by moment. And the longer we neglect, the further we drift. It's a really simple metaphor. And it's true. What do we neglect? Well, we neglect God's final words spoken by His Son gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great salvation, that God has sent His one and only Son into the world, that He's lived a perfect life, that He's come to redeem us, that He gave His his life on a cross, that He shed His blood for our sin, that He has risen from the grave, that He has ascended to the Father, that He stands in front of our life and says, in spite of all of your rebellion, in spite of all of your sin, in spite of all of what you've done to reject me, all you must do is place your faith and trust in me, and I will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. I'll adopt you into my family. I'll make you part of my own. And I will secure you forever. And not only that, I'll indwell you with my Holy Spirit who will be with you every single day and help you along the way. Who will seal you to the end. It's that message that we neglect. It's that Lord that we stop paying attention to. And when we neglect, and when we get careless, we drift away. We drift away. So that's the danger and that's the cause. What's the warning? The warning is the question we set out to at the beginning. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The question is, you won't escape. But escape what? What does he have in mind? What is this escape from? What is he talking about? It's the retribution of God, the judgment of God that he's got on his mind here. And the answer is, you won't escape it. If you drift away, you will not escape it. John MacArthur said, All you need to do to go to hell is do nothing. That's all you need to do. You'll get there. You'll drift right in. You'll drift right in. 
He makes this argument by pointing out the Old Testament. And he talked about you know, what was delivered by angels and all of that stuff that we read a moment ago. What he's arguing is this, that there was great danger in neglecting the Old Testament law. Now, you have read much of the Old Testament, I trust. You've read enough of it to know that in the Old Testament, God had delivered His law. And He expected and demanded that His people obey the law. And when they didn't obey the law, God's judgment came. And throughout the Old Testament, you don't have to read far to see vivid examples of how God, how seriously God took His law. And how seriously God took people neglecting it and disobeying it and walking away from it. In fact, the entire, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was a vivid, regular reminder of how seriously God takes His law and His message and His truth. And how seriously He takes our rebellion and our neglect of it. When people came to the temple... They, they saw a bloody scene every Sabbath. Animal after animal after animal killed, sacrificed, blood flowing everywhere. A vivid reminder that God takes very seriously how men respond to His message. That when we reject it, that when we disobey it, that when we neglect it, there's a price to be paid. There's a judgment that comes. And every one of those animals that was killed was a reminder that God cares about how we respond to His message. That He cares about our sinful neglect and our sinful disobedience. And those animals could never, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us further on in the book, that the blood of those animals could never cover our sin permanently. It was just a reminder day to day of what was needed and what was necessary and what our sin deserves. And what he's telling us in chapter 2 is, if God took that seriously, right, how people disobeyed his message, neglected his message, stopped paying attention to his message in the Old Testament, how much more seriously do you think he takes it when we reject his son, when we neglect his son, when we quit paying attention to his son? God does not make empty threats. His threats always have teeth. And He doesn't make threats because He likes to punish. He makes threats in order to motivate us to do what's right. If God enjoyed crushing His people, He would just crush His people. He wouldn't warn us and make threats. He makes threats so that we know what the consequences are. And He makes threats in order to snap us to, to get us to pull our heads up from the waves and look to the shore and to get things right so that He does not punish. And so He says here, how are you going to escape if you neglect these things? There's a price to be paid. And that price is severe. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Christ speaking to the church at Ephesus says this, But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. It's kind of the same thing the writer of Hebrews is saying. You're not where you used to be. You've drifted a long, long ways. And I have this against you. And you need to get it right. There are two kinds of drifting, I think, that he has in mind here. One or two kinds of neglect that causes drifting. There's the one of a person who is an unbeliever who does not know Christ, but has heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. And the question that lies on the doorstep of that man or woman is, how are you going to escape at the end? What happens when you end up like my mother-in-law last weekend and you breathe your last breath 
on this earth. How will you escape if you neglect Christ and you neglect the gospel? You will not escape. You will go to an eternal hell. That's where you'll go. There will be no escape. There will be no second chance. You keep drifting past the gospel. And one day there will be no more gospel for you to hear. I think he's speaking to another group too. The group primarily that he's speaking to are those who are within the church who've given some sort of a a mental assent to the gospel, who agree with the the facts of the gospel and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and have confessed in some way, shape, or form that they belong to him. But their life is a testimony of extended drifting. And he's saying to them, listen, if you continue to drift, if this drift goes on and on and on, how are you going to escape? What kind of level of assurance do you have that you truly belong to Christ? Because those who belong to Christ drift, yes, from time to time. But they hear their master calling and they wake up and they repent and they adjust course. Jesus told the parable of the soils that makes a similar point. That eternal drifting is not the indication of a believer. And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you this. I've done a lot of funerals. And I've done way too many funerals where I sit down with a family and I say, tell me about Sally. Tell me about Sally's spiritual condition. Oh, Sally used to go to church all the time. She was there when the doors were open. Well, where does Sally go to church now? She doesn't go anywhere. How long has it been since Sally stepped foot in church? Oh, it's been 20, 30 years. And of course, a desperate family at that moment. But, but, but sometime way back in the past, she made some kind of a profession of faith. So she's with Jesus. Is that right? Is that how it works? That's not the message in Hebrews chapter 2. Maybe Sally was a believer. Maybe. But maybe 20 years of drifting is a testimony that she never knew Christ. There's danger. This is not trivial. This isn't, this isn't minor, what he's bringing up here in this passage. It has significant consequences. How are you going to escape? How are you going to escape if you keep drifting? The answer is you won't escape. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is simple. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Pay attention. The first command in the book of Hebrews is we have to pay much closer attention. We must pay much closer attention to Christ. We must pay much closer attention to spiritual things. We must pay much closer attention to the gospel. We must constantly, intentionally fight against the current that drives us to drift. I was away a couple of weeks back uh, with the Coast Guard doing response to Hurricane Florence, and I went out in a small boat with a team that was going out and repairing all the aids to navigation out in the, out in the, 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 the waterways. You know, they had gotten all blown away by, by the hurricane. And uh, I was on a, on a little small boat with four young guys, young, young bucks, you know, and here I am, the old chaplain riding around. And they, uh, one of the, the guy who was the, uh, the coxswain who was driving, he said, Hey, chaps, you want to drive the boat? I mean, what, what kind of question is that? Of course I want to drive the boat. 
Is anybody looking first? If not, then yes, I want to drive the boat. And so I was driving that little boat, and I realized really quickly that if you're going to keep the boat on course out in open water, there are currents that are driving all over the place. It requires an intentionality. You have to intentionally battle the current to stay on course. It takes effort. It takes intention. And there are stronger currents and there are weaker currents, but if you don't intentionally keep a course correction regularly, you will drift off your course in a hurry. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here in our spiritual lives. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes work to, to, to battle the currents that are causing you to drift. You've got to pay attention to this. You've got to pay close attention to it. There are all sorts of wrong things that captivate our attention, our hobbies and our interests. We pay attention to those. Social media, my goodness, we pay attention to that. Politics, social issues, man, that captivates our attention, doesn't it? All sorts of sparkling things out there in the world that draw our attention and our affections. Our own passions that wage war with inside of us. They, they captivate our attention. And the writer of Hebrews just says, listen, get your eyes off of that junk and pay attention to the things that matter. Because while you're diverted on those things, you are drifting spiritually away from Christ. You've got to get your hands on the wheel of the boat. And you've got to make a course correction against the current. Or it's going to drive you to a place you don't want to go. A place that you can't escape. You have to deliberately pursue Christ. How do we do that? Well, we do that in a lot of ways. By deliberately, habitually making use of the means of grace. Making that an intentional part of our lives. Praying intentionally. Opening God's Word and making that a priority in our lives consistently reminding ourselves of Christ and the gospel and what He's done and the glorious person that He is. Reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. Gathering with God's people and being a part of the body of Christ where we're worshiping together regularly as a habitual part of life. These are ways that we intentionally pay attention. These are corrective means that protect us from drifting away. I meet people all the time who say, oh, you know, I don't have to be a part of the church to be a Christian. No, you don't have to be a part of the church to be a Christian. You're just going to be one that drifts away from Christ all by yourself. We need each other and we need the body. It's part of God's gift to us to keep us on course, to keep us from drifting. I need Tim Whitfield around me who can say to me, hey, Greg, you know, you used to kind of say things like this, but now I'm hearing you say things like that. Are you drifting? I need John Owens to be able to say, Greg, you know, you used to, I'm watching your attitude and you used to be excited about the things of the Lord and now you just seem kind of distracted all the time. Are you drifting? Is something going on? Have you stopped paying attention? Are you neglecting the things that matter? You see, you need that. And I need that. So I ask you, in what ways in your life are you drifting this morning? In what ways have you, have you drifted down the beach and Christ is way down there? What, what ways has your spiritual life just been allowed to go on cruise control and you just floated on down? What things have captivated your attention and drawn you away from Christ? What things have cluttered up your life and squeezed out 
the means of grace that God has established to keep you on course. And what are you going to do about it? The Lord Jesus is a parent on the beach. He's calling to you out there in the waves and He's saying, you're drifting. You're drifting. Come back. Come back. Get back to where you were. You used to love me passionately and now it's cold. You used to serve me fervently and now you're barely hanging on. You used to you used to share the life-saving message of my death and resurrection with anybody who crossed your path, and now you never even open your mouth to anybody. You're drifting. Come back. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've been hearing the gospel over and over and over again, how many times are you going to drift past it without confessing your sin and embracing Jesus? How many times are you going to drift past the message in the gospel? And how will you know when it's your last opportunity? Maybe today's your last opportunity. Are you going to drift past? Let's pray together. Father, we, we don't like to think about these things. We, we like to think of ourselves as, hey, we're, we're church people. I mean, we've got to be better than most of the rest of the world out there, right? They're not even in church. And yet this message of Hebrews chapter 2 is a message to people who are church people. It's a red warning light on the dashboard flashing in front of us saying, Hey, the engine, there's something wrong. Pull off to the side of the road. Pop the hood. Pay attention. You're pricking our consciences about how we've drifted by your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray for myself and for my friends who have gathered, Lord, that you would give us a very clear vision of where we are in relation to you right this very moment. That you would blow away our excuses, that you would blow away all of the things that we say that kind of make it no big deal that we've drifted. That you would raise the alarm, that we would understand the seriousness and the danger that you would drive us to correct course this morning. Draw drifters back to yourself this morning, Jesus. For those who've never entrusted their lives to you, impress upon them that this very moment might be their last opportunity to confess their sin and entrust their lives to you. May they do so now. For we pray it in Jesus' name.